Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, today we are continuing in a series we're doing together from the book of Ezra. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ezra chapter 2, as we as a church are thinking about returning home. As you're finding your place in the Bible, I just want to say how thrilled I am to have been made an elder of this church in peculiar circumstances, admittedly, a couple of weeks ago, there we were with our masks on, but nevertheless felt such a sense of privilege, really, to be stepping into this role and the weirdness of having moved during lockdown, having been made an elder during lockdown, and just a great sense of frustration at having not yet got to really interact with the people that God's joined us to as a family, yet looking forward to that moment which now is tantalisingly close. Let's face it, doing this, it's not brilliant. It's acceptable as an alternative, but it isn't the same as when we are all gathered together. That really is what God wants for his church. And so we as a leadership team are eagerly anticipating the moment when we can gather together and be with you. I can't wait to really get to know my new church, the church which God, as I say, has joined us to as a family. So thank you for praying for us. Thank you for loving us and receiving us. And I'm excited by all God has for us in the months and the years ahead. I feel God's given us a, a wonderful mission, a glorious vision, that this church is a church which not only is being called to be a blessing to Winchester and the villages around, but to be a church that has a call to serve the purposes of God across the nation and the nations. That really is why I love the church. I mean, my whole life, pretty much, I've grown to love the church. Um, my last, uh, what is it now, 15 years or so working in full-time ministry, I stepped out of a very well-paid job in London in my early 20s. I was only doing it for a couple of years, but it was going great, but knew God had called me to teach the Bible and to be a leader in the church. When I stepped away from my job, my, my colleagues said to me, you're nuts, you're absolutely crazy. Why are you leaving your career behind to go and work for the church? Isn't that something you should do when you're retired? And I tried to convey to them that this was far from being a kind of retrograde, downward spiral, that rather this was something that I was utterly passionate about and felt it was the best thing I could do with my life. Having caught something of the heart I believe God has for his people in the world today, I honestly can't think of anything else I'd rather give my life to than telling people about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how through his death and resurrection, through his spirit working in his people, he's joining us together. A vast crowd of many different people joined together in what Jesus has done to worship, to adore him, to enjoy him forevermore. I love the church. And for those that don't really understand that, that can sound like a very strange thing, I imagine, for somebody to say, you love the church? I absolutely do. And I do believe that in a world that's full of wonderful things, beautiful things, in a universe that reflects something of who the creator is and its spectacular beauty and glory, I believe this, that nothing reflects who God is as much as his church does 
when his church is being all that she's been called to be, which is this diverse company, men, women, children, different nations and backgrounds, enjoying God together. Love the church and it's what I'm giving my life to and I know so many of you are too as we glorify Jesus together and help one another to enjoy him. Now, this series that we're, we're doing together is all about the church. Yes, it's about us anticipating returning to a, a point of gathering again. It's about that. And, and I just think when Steve showed me the series, I said to him, this looks brilliant. I really feel like he's heard from God as he's put this together and as we as a leadership team have have poured over it feel like it's a god-sent message for us as a church but actually of course this book is about something so much greater even than just what we're about as a local church community there's something of this story that speaks of the big story something of this mission that speaks of the big mission there's something of what God is doing through this peculiar, relatively small group of people a few thousand years ago that tells of the cosmic purposes of God in creation, that tells of his church, that speaks about the bride that Christ himself will one day be joined to in this wonderful wedding feast. We are looking forward to that great and ultimate day. Now, let me just say to you, and I am about to read the passage, don't worry. If you are wondering, what on earth does Ezra have to do with me? You may not even be a Christian. You may be thinking, what? This is odd. I, I don't quite know how I've stumbled upon this YouTube page. I'm not sure I need to listen to this. Let me just interject and say this. If you have a dream home kind of concept, if you have an idea of what being perfectly at home might look like. Now, we all have an idea of what home is. Home is a secure place. Home is a place where we belong. Home is a place where we can be comfortable, where we can really be ourselves. And we're all working towards enjoying that home and having that home. But we probably also know a sense of never having, never quite getting there. You might buy a house and think this house is amazing. The rooms are a little small. Or the garden could be a bit bigger. Or maybe the, the garden's perfect and the, the house is perfect, but you move in and, and suddenly you're, you're bickering as a family. And you think, oh, if only the kids were better behaved. Or if, if only it was sunnier. We always have the sense of we're never quite perfectly, fully at home. If you have that sense, I, I, have a, I agree with that. I have that sensation. I, I do feel a slight frustration of I'm always close or I'm always pursuing this home but never quite getting there then there's a reason for you to listen to this because this is kind of what we're touching on today right at last shocking seven minutes in and we're about to read the bible so i apologize for a lengthy introduction i i assure you we won't we'll make sure this doesn't go on for too long trust me okay joe's with me on that one right verse one of chapter two these now are the people of the province who came from those captive exiles King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had deported to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Now we're going to jump over to verse 64. 
the whole combined assembly numbered 42,360, not including their 7,337 male and female servants and their 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and a whopping 6,270 donkeys. Now, in between the verses which I read is a long list of names of families and the numbers that, that those families represented. It's a list of everyone who returned in this first phase from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, the people had a decision to make. After the edict comes, after the Jews are free now to return to Jerusalem, and as they're being urged to return to Jerusalem, they have a decision to make. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay in Babylon or should I return to Jerusalem? Now, nearly 50,000 took the decision to go to Jerusalem. They'd been in Babylon for 70 years. They'd established Babylon as their home. Actually, life in Babylon was comfortable. It was, it was okay. They were provided for. They had food. They had um, the ability to live relatively freely. It started horrendously in terms of how Nebuchadnezzar dragged them all away, but they'd settled. It got quite comfortable for them. Why should they return to Jerusalem? Why should they return to this city that lay in ruin? Well, we're told right at the beginning in, in verse 5 of chapter 1 that the Spirit of God stirred their hearts to return. Why? It's a brilliant question. Those that were stirred to return were stirred with a vision for what Jerusalem should be. Jerusalem always meant to be the city of God, the place where the presence of God dwelt. Here are some verses from the Psalms. I just want to read to you. Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. What this group caught hold of, this 42,000 odd, they got hold of the significance of Jerusalem as the place where the presence of God resided. That phrase that I just read out is the key one. God is in the midst of her. You see, Israel in its history was privileged to be the people that knew particularly something of the goodness, the glory and the presence of God. And, and they'd lost that. They really had. Following their disobedience, following their rebellion, trying other gods out, realizing no God compares to this one. No one's as great as he is. We must return. Let's rebuild the city. Let's restore the temple. They got a vision. They saw something spectacular before them. And so nearly 50,000 went. However, 
scholars agree that that number represented really only a fraction of the Israelites living in Babylon at the time. We've got a list of names of families here, but there is a vast list not found in these pages. Those that chose to stay, those that chose Babylon over Jerusalem. Why did they make that decision? Well, if you think about it, I mean, try and just put yourself in their shoes. I mean, I don't know, having recently moved, moving is stressful. You have boxes everywhere. You're trying to sort out the furniture. You're trying to get to know the neighbors, all of these things. There's, you know, sorting schools out, et cetera, et cetera. Moving can be stressful. And it's so lovely. Once you have settled and everything is unpacked and you get to really figure out the new environment that you've moved to. Having settled in Babylon, the upheaval of traveling hundreds of miles to return to a derelict city. I mean, it just doesn't sound like the best idea. And many didn't see it as a great plan. Many preferred the relative comfort of Babylon to the challenge and the trials of going to a derelict city. They chose comfort, if you like, over the adventure. They hadn't caught hold of the vision. They hadn't quite grasped what this first crowd grasped. They hadn't quite seen the glorious picture that these others had. And so they stayed. And so they stayed in Babylon. Now, this comes on to the, the application. Here's the question. Where will your home be? If you have to choose Jerusalem or Babylon, which do you choose? If you choose the comfortable life of the things which are familiar, the things which you feel you can control, would you go for that? Or do you have a sense of resonance with this adventurous, um, faithful, bold, courageous decision that you're giving yourself to something which everyone else is like, you're a bit odd. Yeah, you're a, you're a little bit odd. <laughs> I wonder if anyone said that to you. Um, it probably won't surprise you I've had that said to me a few times. You're a little bit odd. The, the decisions you make, my work colleagues, it's a little bit odd what you're doing. Let me ask you, have you caught hold of God's vision for his church? Does the church of Jesus Christ fill you with a sense of utter joy? Would you be willing to give everything for the church? Now, some might say, this all sounds a little bit full on. <laughs> Don't Christians just go to church on a Sunday? Isn't it just about attending a meeting? Isn't it just about singing songs? Okay, sure, having some fellowship and some community. But what's this joker doing telling me that it's the greatest, most glorious, wonderful thing in all the earth? That sounds a little bit far-fetched. Is this just hyperbolic language? Well, the, the Bible speaks of the church in this way. And the church started as a consequence of men and women going, do you know what, this is, this is just what an awesome privilege it is to be part of his church. And we're willing to lay down their lives. So many, of course, tragically did. We need to understand that what we're reading here has huge theological significance, huge theological significance. So, so Jerusalem and Babylon, 
these two cities are spoken of in the New Testament. They are um, metaphors, if you like, for Jerusalem on the one hand, the church, and Babylon on the other, the city of the world or the city of men. St. Augustine described it as the two cities, the city of God, which is Jerusalem, and the city of men, which is Babylon. If you like, two worlds, two kingdoms, the kingdom of God on the one hand, and then there's the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Satan on the other. And so in Revelation, we find Jerusalem being spoken about as God's people, God's church, and then Babylon being spoken about as that city that is opposed to God's church. In fact, totally hates God's church in that kind of an extreme language we come across. There's a theological significance to this. Really, as I've already said, whilst this appears to be just a random list of names of uh, impossible to pronounce, you'll notice I've not even attempted to pronounce any of these names, this speaks of a far greater thing. It really does. You see, uh, the Apostle Paul made this point in Romans. He said, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, Ezra 2 has been written for you and for me. It's been written for our instruction. This is for us. You think, what? All these names, all these numbers? What possible relevance does this have for me? So here's, here's the thing. Theologically, here's what's happening. Jerusalem is the church, the universal church of all true believers across all time. That church is made up of many local churches of which we're one. And so in a sense, what you have with all of these families gathered to Jerusalem, to this place where God's dwelling is, family after family after family, in God's big church, we are just a family, but we are a family. We are, we do belong to the big church. We do belong to the universal church. We can't claim to be it. As great as we think we are as a church, and we are, we're a good church. There are many thousands of other churches, but we're joined together by this same shared privilege that the presence of God dwells among us. And so just as the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, got hold of bricks and rebuilt the temple, the Bible says in the New Testament that we as Christians are each living stones. You're a living stone. If you're a Christian, you're a living, breathing stone being joined together to other stones to become the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. So the temple now is not just brick and mortar. No, no, no. This is, this is you and I. This is men and women, children. This is... This is those that have received God into their hearts. And so this is what God is doing in the world today. He is inviting home all people. Come home. Come and be with me. Come and enjoy my presence. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us home. See, this invitation went to the Israelites through Jesus, the gospel, which is come to me. Jesus invites us, come to me. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to the Father through me. That's the invitation. That invitation goes out to the whole world, to the whole world. So whilst we have 40 odd thousand here coming home, it's a small picture of the massive picture, which is that you 
and me and all people have been invited to come home to a new Jerusalem, the Bible says, a new Jerusalem, a new dwelling place, a new city. And this is how it's described in Revelation 21. This is why this city is so great. This is why you want to come home. This is why you want to come to Jerusalem. This is why you don't want to stay in Babylon. This is what we read in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is why I love the church. This is why I do what I do. This is why we're committed to one another. This is why we're committed to, to coming and being together again. This is why we're committed to speaking the words of this book. This is why we're committed to the gospel. It's because through Jesus Christ, a new home is being prepared for all of us. In a sense, right now, today, we are on a journey back to Jerusalem. We're on a journey to a new Jerusalem. We are being led. We are walking with the Holy Spirit who's taking us progressively closer and closer to that moment when Christ returns and all things are made new and the dwelling of God will be among men and women perfectly, perfectly, which means no taint, no sin, no disappointment, no sadness, no sorrow, no virus, no death, only pure, unadulterated bliss and forever. And to be enjoyed with friends, family from all the nations of the world. We are walking steadily towards that. But we don't want to stay in Babylon. We don't want to, as comfortable as it is, as comfortable and as enjoyable as life appears to be, there is something greater ahead. So I, I want to give myself to telling people about that. So that as we're journeying now, the, the, the church is saying to, to those around, come and join us. Come and be a part of us. Join in. See where we're going. This will do you good. You want to be with us. Let's, you, don't you want this? Don't you want this hope? Don't you want this home? A home where all of your desires are satisfied and fulfilled. Where there's no disappointment or frustration. I long for that. I feel often I'm so close. And yet I realise if I attempt, if I think that somehow this world is going to fulfill every single longing. I'm kidding myself. I've been, I've been made for another world. 
and the Bible teaches me this, and this story in Ezra teaches me this, and I want my family and I want the families around me to, as it were, be in the on the list. And you think, what list? Well, there's another book. There's another list of names. It's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book is named all of those who took a decision to trust Jesus, to follow him as he led them out of Babylon, this kingdom of the world, this kingdom of darkness, leading them out of Babylon into the kingdom of his light, the kingdom of his son, toward the new Jerusalem, which one day will fill the earth, a new dwelling place where God dwells in the midst, there will be a book which will be opened one day and the numbers will be there and the households will be there and the families will be there. My appeal to you is make sure you're on that list. Be on that list. How do I get onto that list? Look, it's not made difficult in the sense that you just have to accept the gift that God wants to give you as he stirs your heart to follow him. You see, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. I am the way, the truth and the life. Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus isn't a, a party pooper. He's not, he's not a killjoy. He created joy. He's always known joy. He's the one that wants to sh you to share joy with him. And we get to have that by, by accepting his invitation. So you, so you may not be a Christian and you may have randomly found yourself listening to this today. I want to just read a quote to you from the great C.S. Lewis. You may know C.S. Lewis from the Narnia stories. He had a brilliant way of capturing what we all know to be true, but he just had a way of putting it into words brilliantly. This is what C.S. Lewis has to say. Listen carefully to his words. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Simply put, you and I have been made for another world. The quest, if you like, of this life 
is to find that to be true as a seed is sown in our hearts an eternal seed that only will find its full expression once this fallen flesh this this body which is decaying is replaced by a glorious one surrounded by other glorious bodies joined to one another to enjoy and worship God forevermore. Really, that's what Ezra is all about. That's what returning home is all about. It's knowing that you were made for God and to be in his house forevermore. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms and he's prepared a place for you. So please don't ignore that invitation today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this story of the Israelites' return to Jerusalem. I thank you that it tells about the big story, how you've called us all to leave a world marred by sin and evil and to be led to a world characterised by light and truth, love, happiness, joy, all of which are found through a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Almighty God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Thank you for that promise. So Lord, help us to delight ourselves in you. Help us to urge others to join us on this great journey towards this new Jerusalem that one day will be manifest in this world. Help us to trust in you with all our hearts. We look forward to being home with you. Amen.